0: The word for the day is furious, all right? This actually line comes from a Bible passage we're going to look at today. The people were furious, all right? When you are furious, what does that feel like? When I'm furious, you you kind of get tight. At least for me, my neck gets tight. You kind of... um, one of, the, one of the biblical words for anger has the word nose in it because it was kind of like, like a snorting bull. I'm, angry, you know, furious. But this word, the word furious actually in this particular passage, the Greek word, I don't always do this, but the Greek word is, is thumos, like thermometer, like thermal. So it means hot. The people were hot. They were indignant. They were boiling up. So you know what that feels like, probably in certain situations, hopefully not too often for you, but the people were furious, and in this particular situation, they were furious at who? Jesus. So what was it that made these people so furious at Jesus, strong and kind, we just sang about him? Why would they be so furious at Jesus, strong and kind, and maybe... I think you'll see that maybe you can relate to why they were furious, because sometimes we get that kind of weight with Jesus, but hopefully we don't stay that way. So I've been doing a series called, Do You Want to Be Healed? Talking about how do you experience the healing touch of Jesus in your life? Not just, not primarily physical, although we believe Jesus can do that, but even in terms of the, some of the brokenness, the woundedness of our own hearts, because we're all broken, we're all wounded, we all have things that have been done to us by other people that shouldn't have been done, or we have things that should have been done by people that wasn't done. So there's all kinds of trauma, and I always tell people there's big T trauma, you know, 48-point font, and there's small T trauma, 10-point font, somebody, you know, just disrespected you. But there's all kinds of trauma. We've all experienced it, and it all affects us. And uh, it comes from the passage. The whole idea of this is that it comes from the passage of Jesus talking about his mission in Luke chapter 4. So in Luke chapter 4, this was Jesus. It was really, well, it wasn't really. It was his first public sermon. So he was in his childhood home, Nazareth. Synagogues were like where they, they, they would gather, and they would gather regularly. It was like their church buildings. They were smaller buildings. And the men would take turns reading scripture. And so we don't know if it was Jesus' turn that day or he took the turn. We don't know how that works. But he went up for the reading and he read from the prophet Isaiah, which is this passage. This is the first time when Jesus, it was kind of like his, maybe this isn't the best way to say it, it was kind of like his ta-da moment. Like, this is me. I'm the one. And this is what he read. He read from the prophet Isaiah, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Let me stop for a second or two. Everyone in the audience would have known this passage from Isaiah from 600 years before Jesus was talking about the anointed one, the Messiah, the one who would turn the world back where it should be. So he starts reading this. They knew what the passage was about, all right? The spirit of the Lord is upon me for he has anointed me to preach, to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and the time of the Lord's favor has come. So he reads that, he rolls up the scroll, and the scripture says in this passage, and he said, Today this has been fulfilled in your hearing. Okay. Clearly they understood it to mean this, Jesus is saying, is talking about me. This is me. And so the people were so the people were amazed. I'm just following in Luke 4. They were amazed. You can guess they were probably hopeful, like, wow. And then we'll go on to this passage, though, because this, this is the passage where things kind of turn funny. All right, go to the next one. Then they, they say that they, they're amazed, they're hopeful, and then Jesus says this. This is all in the context of this synagogue gathering. Certainly there were many needy widows in Israel in Elijah's time, because he said, well, first he said, you yeah, you're going to now want me to do some miracles among you and magic kind of thing. He, wasn't, he didn't say magic, but he knew the people were wanting, like, magic, kind of cool things, do things for us. You know, magical Santa Claus. And he says, certainly there are many needy widows in Israel in Elijah's time, yet Elijah was not sent to any of them. He was sent and sent to a foreigner, a widow of Zarephath. And many in Israel had leprosy in the time of the prophet Elisha, but the only one healed was Naaman, a Syrian. Now let me stop for a second. So he just said, this is what I came to do. I came to bring healing and hope to everybody. And you're going to probably tell me now, do it for us now. And then he says, well, kind of saying, you're kind of like your ancestors from 600 years ago. You you wanted all this good stuff from God, but you didn't want it the way God wanted to give it to you. The only ones who really would receive what God wanted to do were foreigners. A widow in a town called Zarephath and this man named Naaman. So Jesus says, you know, your people, your ancestors, they didn't want what, how God wanted to give them healing and hope and all the things that I promised you in the passage from Isaiah. But God did that for these foreigners. Then, so he just said that, then, now we go to the next passage. When they heard this, the people in the synagogue were furious. Furious? He just kind of repeated some Old Testament stuff. Jumping up, they mobbed him and forced him to the edge of the hill on which the town was built. They intended to push him over the cliff. It's like, whoa, wait a minute. This is like anger out of control here, right? What, what's going on here? They're going to push. End of the story. You probably could they did not push him off the cliff. That's it said Jesus walked through the crowd untouched. But what incited them so much about this? Jesus, he, but he did tell them, you're going to want me to do miracles right now for you. You're going to want me to do all this wonderful things for you. Not that Jesus, But Jesus also knew their motive for it wasn't where God wanted it to be. And he said, you know, if you're like your ancestors, they resisted the work of God too because God had to do things for this foreign widow outside of Israel and this foreign guy named Naaman. And something in them fired up. We're going to ask the question why, but before that, let's look at the story of Naaman, because we're going to see a similar dynamic here. Because again, we're talking about do you want to be healed? Sometimes on the journey to wanting God to do something in our lives, we want to be healed. We want the, what all is just call the quick and easy way of God. And then when God tells us the way to healing might involve some challenge in our own hearts, if you're like me, you get angry a little bit. Come on, God. Can't you make it easier for me? So let's look at the, in the Old Testament, Second Kings chapter 5. All right, so Naaman, he's a commander of Aramean army. Aram was basically in Syria, kind of north of Israel. So he was a foreign army dude, very powerful, very successful, he was powerful, successful in raiding Israel. So he was kind of the enemy, but his name's Naaman, and we're going to read his story here in a second. So foreign, powerful guy. This would have been six centuries before Jesus, Old Testament, Second Kings, all right? So let me just read uh, from the story of Naaman, all right? The king of Aram, so now you're going back 600 years, but everyone in the synagogue in Jesus, they knew this story. So they knew the story that Jesus was referring to about Naaman. So 2 Kings 5, all right? The king of Aram had great admiration for Naaman, the commander of his army, because through him the Lord had given Aram great victories. And it's like, wait, why is God giving a foreign nation victory? Right now we're going to say it's God's business. We'll figure that out some other time, all right? But though Naaman was a mighty warrior, he suffered from leprosy. Leprosy was a horrible disease of the skin, had no known cure, and it was just, it often was a death sentence, long-term death sentence. It was thought to be even communicable in the New Testament times. If somebody had leprosy, they were like set off to the side. They had to to stay six feet away from any living. I mean, talk about, it wasn't wasn't like the COVID six feet. It was six feet where you better not break that because I don't want to get your disease. I mean, it was like a lot of... But apparently, in in his case, he was such a good warrior, they let him lead the armies without, I don't know how they did, but he had leprosy, all right? He is not in a good situation. But at this time, the Aramean raiders had invaded the land of Israel under his leadership, and among their captives was a young girl who had been given to Naaman's wife as a maid. One day, the girl said to her mistress, I wish my master, Naaman, I wish my master would go see the prophet in Samaria. He would heal him of his leprosy. She's talking about a guy named Elisha. Old Testament Jewish prophet. So Naaman told the, his king what the young girl from Israel had said. The king, the king said, well, go and visit this prophet. I'll send him a letter of introduction for you to take to the king of Israel. And again, Israel was the enemy. Aram had kind of, had kind of, you know, they, were, they had taken him over. So Naaman started out carrying gifts. 750 pounds of silver, that's a lot. 150 pounds of gold, that's a lot. 10 sets of clothing. The letter to the king of Israel said, with this letter, I present my servant servant Naaman. I want you to heal him of this leprosy. Because Naaman knew there was a prophet in this country of Israel. So he goes to the king first with tons of money. Heal this guy. When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes in dismay and said, because he thought the foreign army was trying to trick him or, you know pick a fight am i god that i can give life and take it away why is this man asking me to heal someone with leprosy i consider he's trying to pick a fight with me but when elisha the prophet the man of god heard that the king of israel had torn his clothes in dismay he sent the message to the king why are you so upset send name into me and he will learn that there is a true prophet in israel in other words elisha is like god will give me the power to heal this man so Naaman went with his horses and chariots and waited at the door of Elisha's house. So again, Naaman, powerful dude. He has probably really cool horses, really nice chariots. He probably still has the money. And now I'm going to Elisha's house. So he's hopeful, right? He's hopeful. Let's just assume that. He's, a really, he's hopeful. This is it. This is, I'm, I'm going to be done with this horrible thing I've dealt with a lot of my adult life. But, so he's waiting there for, for the prophet to come out and do, like, great things for me. But Elisha sent a messenger out to him with this message. So he sent a servant out there. Go, he tells us to Naaman, go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River. Then your skin will be restored and you'll be healed of your leprosy. So I'm Naaman. I'm the strong, powerful military guy. I'm wanting this prophet to come out and heal me. And he sends out a slave or a servant and gives me this message I have to go in this Jordan River and wash myself seven times so what does, what does scripture tell us the Naaman went away angry he was furious some of the translations will say he stalked away he was angry and he stalked away he was mad didn't get healed didn't even do what the servant asked him to do he said I thought he would certainly come out to meet me I expected him to wave his hand over the leprosy and call on the name of the Lord his God and heal me. Aren't the rivers of Damascus, and he mentions a couple rivers from his home country, aren't they better than the rivers of Israel? Jordan was a river of Israel. Why shouldn't I wash in them and be healed? And then it says, so Naaman turned away and went away in a rage. Again, fury, passion, indignation. But His officers tried to reason with him and said, Sir, if the prophet had told you to do something very difficult, wouldn't you have done it? So you should certainly obey him when he says simply go and wash and be cured. So Naaman went down to the Jordan River and dipped himself seven times as the man of God had instructed him. And his skin became as healthy as the skin of a young child. And he was healed. All right. So let me combine the two stories here. Naaman went away angry when the prophet told him what to do. I don't know if you can see it, but I have a red background to angry. To red, red emotion, right? He went away in a rage. Both those words are used in this passage. When the prophet said, go do this. And then go back to the story, and Jesus was telling these people, because they wanted this healing miracle, wave, over, you know, wave a hand over us and just take care of us, And they were furious. So we have Naaman, angry, full of rage. And it's a parallel story to the people when Jesus is telling his story. And they're furious. What happened? I mean, so here's, here's my pictures for the day. Go to the next one. I always like doing emojis, all right? So Naaman was desperate because of his leprosy. He was hopeful when he heard about Elisha, all right? The people in the synagogue in Nazareth, they were desperate for the Messiah to come. They, they were over, they would, been, they would have been occupied by the Romans. It was awful for them. So they were desperate for God to rescue them. And they were hopeful about the Messiah. So when Jesus read the passage about the Messiah, they're hopeful but then Naaman turns furious, and so do the people. So what happened in between? Why were they, they were desperate and hopeful, and really in a matter of seconds, they're furious? What, what happened? I mean, think about your own situation, maybe, or situations. Why, why do you think they were furious? It's like, well, so so what, what is that little line in the middle of this gray line? What's happening in the gray line down the center of our hearts when that happens? I want God to do this. I'm desperate. I'm hopeful. <laughs> now I'm kind of ticked off. But, well, that, that line down the middle was wounded Pride indignation. Why do Because when Jesus told the story, he was basically saying to these people in the synagogue, your hearts are just as hard as your ancestors. You don't really want God. You want the power of God in your life. You want kind of the Santa Claus God who will do things for you. You don't want to follow God. Same thing with Naaman. You want the prophet to wave his hand over you, but it's kind of undignified to go into this dirty river and dip yourself seven times. Why seven times anyway? It's a dirty. I, I'm a powerful guy. I'm, I'm the commander of armies. Why do I have... So it's this something in their pride, something in our pride is tripped up, right? Because I don't want to have to, and the word I'm going to use is they were asked to hum, humble themselves. Naaman had to humble himself, which he did. The people in the synagogue knew the accusation of God to their ancestors was they just need to humble themselves. All right? So Jesus said, so the line between your desperation and hopefulness and your healing, it's going to get stuck if you're not willing to humble yourself. And I'll explain that in a second in terms of what that looks like. But it will get stuck, and you'll likely go to being a little bit ticked off at God or the church or somebody that represents God because you thought God was just going to do this for you, All right? So let's talk about that. What stirs in your heart when your humility and your pride are having a fight, All right? That's what's happening. Because Jesus said—now go, go to the next slide— for those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Jesus repeated that phrase a few different times. In the Old Testament, there's a passage where God actually tells the people, if, the, if my people who are called by my, my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will heal them. So there's this clear line, connection, Correlation, whatever word you want to use, between humbling ourselves before God and God healing. And this again, I can talk about mainly about healing issues in our heart or healing things we struggle with. So humility, and again, Jesus talks about that a number of times. About humble yourselves in the sight of God; He will lift you up. God honors the humble; He frustrates the proud. So that's kind of the opposite: the humble and proud. So Naaman's block was he was too proud to be dunked in this dirty river. He eventually did it. The people of Israel, the people of Nazareth, realized that Jesus was saying something that confronted their pride, and they did not like it, right? So in James, I'm going to keep this up here because I'm this passage about Jesus. Humble, Jesus, God exalts the humble. So in the book of James, and I'll... And we'll talk about this. Look, in the book of James, James also repeats the New Testament. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up in honor. Then the connection, we'll connect that to the next chapter of James, where he says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you might be healed. So, again, there's this connection between humble yourselves and be healed. And then James adds in there this kind of confess your sin. So and let's look at this. Just this, what does it mean to humble yourself? So let's say you have this issue of whatever your issue is, is something that you feel like is broken inside of you, it's like maybe it's a sin issue, maybe that, maybe it's just other brokenness issues, and you're trying to figure out. Maybe it's brokenness or pain. Maybe it's abuse you endured for it's somebody's hands that you've never told anybody about. Understandable, but maybe it's a sin issue. But it seems like the pathway to healing is humble yourself. And it seems like part of humbling ourselves means being able to die to our pride, be okay with being treated, be okay with what we feel like is not dignified behavior. Example. I've told you before about, before I was married, I had a significant struggle with pornography. All right. My healing came After I finally was able to talk to a person, a human being, and tell them about my struggle, that was very, that was an affront to my pride to have to tell somebody, I don't have it all together. All right? I was willing to finally say, I don't have it all together. That's hard to do, confess your sin in that. So, again, this is if it's a sin issue for you. Your healing from that issue will have a, large, a huge part to do with your willingness to talk to a person about it. And you might say, and I used to say this, well, God knows God knows my confession. If you're not willing to be humble, if you, if you think you're humble for God, but not being humble before another person, then you're not really being humble. Because I've heard people say, well, God knows my sin. Well, have you talked to a person about it yet? Not for the sake of driving your nose in the dirt, but... If you're not humble before man, you're not humble before God. Right? So in that case, when I finally humbled myself and stopped playing the image management game, I won't. this was when I was in seminary. I was practically a pastor, and I had to tell somebody, I don't have it all together. As a matter of fact, I've got a pretty messed up area of my life. That was the beginning of my healing. Also, when I was in the seminary, I've told this story, I'm not gonna retell it. When I was cheating on an Old Testament assignment, a big assignment, I got an A on it when I should have probably not got an A, because I cheated. I won't go into the details. My healing began when I finally went to the professor and said, I need to tell you I cheated on this assignment. All right, Humbling, an affront to my pride, felt very undignified. All right, Now, that's on sin issues. Maybe it's an issue from your past where someone else sinned against you. And it's understandable that it's humiliating to tell somebody that. But maybe you need to, not in a humiliating way, but in a way that someone else can bring you hope and healing. Maybe, I have have a friend of mine who told me years ago that he was abused by a male babysitter. Male friend abused by a male babysitter. And... I think that was a beginning for him, but it's like, he got to talk about it. Not for the sake of you being humiliated by it, but the sake of someone else who maybe has the spirit of God in them bringing you hope and healing and praying for you. But sometimes bringing things out in the light are really what's healing. And it's, in that case, it wasn't your fault. It's not your fault. But in that case, it still feels a little bit humiliating, but it's not God humiliating you. It's God just saying, I want to heal you. But if you try to deal with it on your own, it's going to be hard. You've got to get people around you who love you, who will help you process this through. But again, that line is, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Humble yourself in God's eyes. He knows, he knows how to heal you. He knows what to do. But we, But we fight that. I mean, I'll speak for myself. I fight that. Because we care too much about, I care too much about my image. I had, to tell my, I had to tell my wife once a few years ago that I lied to her about something. And it wasn't a big deal. It was a small deal. But I lied to her. And I remember thinking to myself afterwards, okay, first of all, why did I lie? Well, I was protecting my image. And I was also protecting what I thought was uh, the health of our marriage. But then when I finally told her, hey, just when I said that to you a few months ago, it took me a few months. I said, I lied to you. That really wasn 't what happened, and it was a small thing, but I, it was so hard for me to tell her that, but it was freeing for me to tell her that and so there is something but it was humili it was humbling now, i won 't use the word humiliating because humiliating means you, you look awful or right? it was humbling because I had to be honest about who I was so one of my one of my mentors, if I can find the quote here, which of course i don 't have it, but i Here it is, here it is. Only the humble person will let God be God. Such people are realistic about who they actually are. All right? Only the humble person will let God be God. Such people are realistic about who they really are. Are you realistic about who you really are? If you have struggles, struggles with sin that you can't seem to shake, are you realistic about it? Are you willing to ask someone else to pray for you, like James talks about? Or if you've been broken and wounded by someone else, be realistic about it. Be open about it, not for the sake of anybody trumpeting it out and parading your brokenness, but for the sake of somebody bringing hope and healing to your life. I mean, some of you grew up up, uh, in the Catholic Church, and uh, I did not. I'm familiar with a lot of the Catholics... Priests in town and stuff like that. But I I also know sometimes there'll be almost jokes. I've seen TV sitcoms where the the confessional booth where you go to give a confession to priests is almost mocked. I I don't think that's the only way to confess your sins, but when you think about it in the best way, to be able to tell your brokenness to another human being who can then let you know that God wants to heal you and not condemn you and not is a really powerful thing. I'm sure when that started in the history of the church centuries ago, the point was we need a place for people to go to start the healing process from their brokenness. And again, sitcoms and movies and TVs even reality, sometimes it becomes a goofy thing, and I'm not saying we should do that, but there is something. I said all my healing journeys started when I was able to tell somebody what the issue was. Whether it, was, whether it was something I was doing or something that was done to me that I needed to help, I needed some other people to realize that was really hard for me when that happened to me. And I just, I, I don't want to be stuck in the cycle of unforgiveness, so can you help me? So uh, you think about why the people were so angry at Jesus you think about why Naaman at first was so angry about why Elisha... I mean, why can't God just come and heal any problems that we have? Why do I have to go through this process of being open and, and transparent before God and people? Well, that's the way God brings freedom. But we don't like that. I don't like it. But it's the way that he brings freedom. I like that. You like that. You want freedom? Alive, awake, and free? So the question for today is, will you humble yourself? If there's, uh, because if you want to be healed, are you willing to do whatever Jesus asked you to do? In this case, maybe even in a conversation with somebody you trust spiritually. Talk about that, and I'm, I'm open to those conversations, but somebody you trust spiritually because the people that tried to push Jesus off the cliff, they were guarding their pride. You're saying we're like those ancestors who rejected you? And Jesus would say, yeah, you are. You're, you're kind of hard-hearted. You have religious pride. You don't want to be healed. You want a magician to kind of wave a wand over you. But Jesus would say, I'm, I'm out. I'm here for the transformation of your character. I want you to be alive and awake and free. If you just want like a Santa Claus God, find another religion. If you want healing, and life, and full life, and joy, and peace, then Jesus would say, "This is the way I'm telling you, and you will get there." So, uh, <laughs> I'll finish with what I think is a somewhat of a funny illustration, but makes the point. And again, I, I'm not saying raising your hands with your when you sing at any time is the ultimate spiritual thing, but uh, it's in in some circles it's viewed as kind of weird to do that, alright? I, I didn't start doing that till I was probably in my 20s because I thought people were weird that did that, alright? But the Bible talks about raising your hands. Yeah, I'm not, this is not a way to try to signal anything about, well, I should raise your hands, raise your hands more. But I, there, one of my pastor mentors once said, somebody in his church said to him, you know, I, I think you need to encourage people to stop doing the hand raising when they sing. And, it, you know, and the pastor said, well, why, why do you want me to tell people to stop doing that? Because when they, or why, why do you want me to stop encouraging you to do that at times where it might be appropriate? And the person said, well, it kind of wounds my pride. And the pastor said to him, wounded? I was hoping we could kill it. All right? because you know, And we know what it's like to say, oh, it wounds my pride. Even though, but, so I'm not, again, it's not about him, but it's about... God's not out to just wound your pride. He wants to kill it and replace it with joy, healing, alive, awake, free, peace, everything. And as long as you, I, let my sense of dignity. And when you think about Jesus and his conflict with the Pharisees, it was always attacking their sense of dignity. We know, you know, they had the fancy hats and the fancy robes and the weird, everything. But that's who they thought they were supposed to image management. So again, the question is, do you want to be healed? Are you willing to go the pathway that Jesus will take you to bring you life and wholeness? And Naaman balked for a minute, but he at least then finally said, no, I'll do that. Some of the Jewish people in Jesus' days balked at Jesus. Then they said, no, I'm, I will. Fall. So if you balk a few times, don't, don't let that discourage you. Just don't keep balking at God. He will lead you to freedom. So, me close, ask me to close your eyes. So, Jesus, um, I know, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing there's people here um, who struggle with, like we all do, and I, I have, and I probably still will, what does it mean to humble ourselves before you? Because I guess if we're honest, we don't know if we trust you. Um, we don't know if you're really going to treat our hearts. With kindness and goodness. We think you're going to come after us with condemnation and guilt and anger, but that's not you. It's like the prodigal's father we talked about last week. It's not you. You come at us with compassion and love and tenderness and hope and healing. So I pray for each one of us here that we would begin to see you in the right way that you are, God. You are tender, you are loving, you are strong, you are kind. And that we can trust your process of healing. Because we want to be full of joy, peace. We want to be alive, awake, and free. We want to be all those things. And we're scared to death of what we have to do to get there. Because we know our pride kind of controls us. But would you humble us and set us free? Would you teach us that and help us to be more alive than we ever thought we could be? We love you, Jesus. We love I love the fact that you didn't. You didn't play games with anybody. You didn't play the Pharisees' games. You didn't try to respect them out of a position that you you just would call a spade a spade in a way that was always honest. Never. Never like, sinful toward them, but you were just honest, and that's all when we want that from you. But you also know you're good and you're kind, so we love you, Jesus. Um, and even as we go into the communion. You offer us your body and your blood because you said this is to remember you. And what we we want to remember is that you bring healing to us through uh, your body. And because of your body and blood, and we take it into our bodies as, as as an invitation of more of you inside of us and less of us inside of us so we can be fully who we were meant to be. So we love you, Jesus. We're grateful that you allowed yourself and you were obedient to death on a cross. God raised you from the dead and your life is now poured inside of us and your healing is poured inside of us. So help us to be willing to be open to all you want for us. And we ask this all in your name. Amen.